Uh, Joel is the word of God to us, so let's ask God to help us understand what it's saying. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank and praise you for giving us your word, the Bible. We pray this morning that as we look at Joel chapter 2 that you will help us to not only understand what it says but enter into the emotion of it that we may grasp how wonderful is our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that the good news about Jesus is good news. The idea that Jesus died and rose again to rescue me from God's judgment on my sin, that seems like a great idea to me. Most of the time I believe it and I am happy about it. The gospel is good news. But the thing is, it's not new news, if you know what I mean. I've been a Christian for about 23 years now. For 23 years I have known that Jesus died and rose again for me. For 23 years I've known that Jesus rescues me from God's judgment on my sin. And, and the thing is, after 23 years, it's hard to, to stay enthusiastic. I mean, I remember when I was 21 years of age and I first realised that the message about Jesus was true. I was so excited. I was thrilled. Energize a bunny or something. It couldn't, couldn't stop me jumping up and down. And, and I remember times along my Christian journey when I've been very moved emotionally by the gospel. I've heard talks that have really moved me. I remember reading some books, uh, Jim Packer's book, Knowing God, or John Stott's book, The Cross of Christ. Uh, when I read these books, I was, I was moved emotionally with joy, with, with gratitude at what God has done. But 23 years down the track, I find that it's hard to to maintain the rage, so to speak. The message about Jesus is good news, but it's old news. And it's hard, don't you reckon, to keep responding emotionally to it. But as I've looked at chapter 2 of this book of Joel, I have to say I've been moved again. It's a very famous chapter, uh, but it's a chapter I don't think I'd ever really understood before. And now that I think I have, I've found it to be a very emotionally powerful expression of the gospel. In fact, not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, when it clicked for me, I was jumping up and down thinking, I cannot wait to share this with the congregation. So I hope I can get across to you this morning the, the emotion of this chapter. Now, the first emotion that I think we're supposed to get here in Joel is this. Here's the first emotion. Sheer terror. Do you remember what we saw last week? Israel were facing a locust plague. You know what a locust plague is? Locusts are like grasshoppers. Uh, and uh, when they reach plague proportions, when billions of them grow at the same time, they, they move in a, in, a big, uh, in a big kind of battalion and they eat any vegetation in their path. Well, in the book of Joel, there's been a locust plague in Israel and it's been quite devastating. Come back with me to chapter 1 and verse 4. Chapter 1 of Joel and verse 4. So here's the locust plague that's already happened. Chapter 1, verse 4. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. They've faced this terrible plague already. But Joel's message is this. 
Worse is still to come. Joel says that an, an army of locusts is approaching in Israel, an army like has never been seen before, and he says the land will be completely laid waste. He says it could be like the Garden of Eden. By the time the locusts are finished, it's going to be like a desert. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Notice he calls them to fear what's about to come. Chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes. Such as never was of old. Nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them fire devours. Behind them a flame blazes. Before them the land is like the garden of Eden. Behind them a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. Israel have already faced a locust plague. Now worse is still to come. The day of the Lord, Joel calls it. God is bringing an army of locusts. As I say, for Israel, this would have made them feel sheer terror. Because because this is the end. Those locusts come, there will be no food. They don't have fridges to store last year's grain. They don't have international airlifts or something when a plague comes. Those locusts come, there will be famine, and the people of Israel, men, women and children, will slowly starve to death. Now, I've also got a video for you this morning. I didn't know uh, that uh, Rebecca was going to have one. I've also got a video for you. It's of a locust plague in Africa. There's a family in a car, and they're videoing as the plague of locusts comes over. Now, this family is safe. Locusts don't eat people, and they can't eat through cars. This family is safe. It's not their fields that are about to be eaten. They're not going to starve when, uh, when the locusts eat all of their crops. But even so, notice how terrifying it is. You're going to have to excuse their language. They're really scared. Thanks, uh, TJ. That's crazy. They're, they're grasshoppers. That's crazy. Why just now? Oh, look, there's one right there. There's one right there. Give me another chase. Oh. That chase. Oh, he just came right on that car. Oh, my God. This is an absolute infestation. We got another one out the window right here. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They're attacking us. Oh, my God. Here they come. Here they come. Oh, this is crazy. This is crazy. Oh my god, there's gonna be millions of these. And they're all just like flying off. There's so many of them, and they're just swarming over here. They're so cute. Right across the you see them like nailing the windshield. Oh my god, oh my god, they're so cute. They're just like right here. Yeah, we've been sitting here for about 20 minutes and they're like not dying off. They're still just coming all across the road on both sides of the car. Did you say we've been sitting here for 40 minutes and it hasn't died off at all? It just keep, keeps coming over. You get the image of the blackness and the sun red with the black coming over it. It's, it's quite terrifying, isn't it? Well, if my kid was screaming like that, I reckon I'd open the window. <laughs> so that drives me nuts, that screaming. <laughs> anyway. Terrifying judgment is coming onto Israel. As that, as that black cloud comes, that is a picture for them of horrible death. 
And so, as we saw last week, Joel has called on Israel to turn to God, to come to the temple, to repent of their sin, to call on God to save them. Chapter 2, verse 12. This is where we finished last week. Chapter 2, verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. And that's... That's where we were left at last week, sort of hanging in suspense. God's judgment is coming onto Israel. Joel has called them to gather together, to cry out to God. It's a situation of sheer terror. What's going to happen? Well, it seems Israel did what Joel said. They did gather together at the temple. They did repent of their sin. They did cry out to God to save them. And now this next section of the book, it seems like it was a prophecy that was given to Joel at the assembly. So Israel have gathered together. They're crying out to God to save them from the plague. Spare your people, O Lord. And now through Joel, God gives his answer. What's the answer? God says, I will show pity. Verse 18. Then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. God says, I'm not going to starve you to death. In fact, I'm going to give you full stomachs. Verse 19. The Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain, new wine and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. God says he's going to destroy the locusts. He's going to blow them away from Israel's crops out into the desert where they'll starve, out into the oceans where they'll drown. Verse 20. I will drive the northern army far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land with its front columns going into the eastern sea and those, into the rear, those in the rear into the western sea and its stench will go up, its smell will rise. God will have mercy. He has heard their prayer. The locusts will perish. And now hear how Joel's message has changed. Hear how the emotion has changed. The, 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 the commands that are there in chapter 1 are commands like this. Weep, wail, mourn, despair, Cry out to God for mercy. At the beginning of chapter 2, the command is, tremble with fear. But now, says Joel, you don't need to be scared anymore. Now you can be glad. Now you can rejoice. Now you can cry out to God, not in terror, but in praise. God will destroy the locusts. He'll give plenty of food to his people. The disaster is averted. You've been saved. So praise God. Shout for joy. The end of verse 20. Surely he has done great things. Be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he's given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. 
The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I'll repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locusts swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You'll have plenty to eat until you are full. And you'll praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you'll know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. How would you feel? Must have been a great moment, don't you think? You, you thought you were finished. You thought those locusts would destroy everything. You thought that you and your family, helplessly standing there, would starve. You thought you were going to watch your children starve to death. You thought God's judgment would bring you to a dreadful end. You were terrified, but you've humbled yourself. You've cried out to God for mercy. You're standing, waiting in the temple, and the good news has come. God has heard your prayer. Judgment has been averted. Instead of starvation, there will be plenty. Instead of curse, there will be blessing. Instead of mourning, there will be joy. This is a profoundly emotional passage, isn't it? From from sheer terror to ecstatic joy and praise. And you know what? It's right now. It's at this point of utter relief, at this point of deep joy that Joel gives a prophecy about a future salvation. Joel says to Israel, do you get how you feel now? Do you know what this feeling of utter relief and joy is? Do you know what it is to be rescued now? Joel says, it's just a taste. Just a taste of an even greater rescue. Now there are three aspects of this fantastic rescue to come. Three ways that it's just like what's happened to Israel with the locust plague, but in each aspect, the future event is even greater. So first, like in Joel's day, there will be prophecy. Uh, There's been prophecy in Joel's day. Who's prophesying? Joel is prophesying. He's prophesying to Israel. He's giving God's message of judgment and salvation to Israel. But he says the day is coming when when all God's people will be filled with his spirit, when it won't be just me, Joel. All God's people will prophesy. All God's people will be able to share his message of judgment and salvation. Verse 28. And afterward, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That's the first aspect of this great future salvation. All God's people will have his spirit. All God's people will be able to speak his word. Second aspect. Like in Joel's day, there will be judgment. And Joel uses uh, images from the locust plague. So back in chapter 2, verse 2, we saw that the locust plague was going to be a day of darkness and gloom, clouds and blackness, a day, chapter 2, verse 3, of fire, a day, verse 10, when the sun and moon would be darkened and the stars no longer shine. That locust plague that was coming that day of the Lord, it was going to be a terrible day of judgment. But Joel says it's just a foretaste, a foretaste of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Verse 30. Verse 30, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Second aspect, Joel is, uh, judgment day is coming. 
But third aspect, just like Israel have been rescued in Joel's day, God is going to provide rescue for his people. Israel have called on the Lord to save them and he's done it in Joel's day. In that day it'll be similar. People in that day will be able to call on the name of the Lord and he'll rescue them from his dreadful judgment. Verse 32. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Okay, can you see the point of this uh, second section of Joel chapter 2, verses 18 to 32? Israel, where are they? They're gathered in the temple. They're crying out to God to save them. Spare your people, O Lord. And now Joel has good news. God has heard their cry. He's going to save them from the terrible locust harvest. And then it's just at that point of incredible relief that Joel looks into the future and he says what's happened today is a, is a foretaste of an even greater day a day when all God's people will prophesy, a day when God's great and dreadful judgment will come, a day when God will again save those who call on him. Well, friends, like I said, uh, this passage in Joel, it is famous. In fact, did you know, this was the very first Old Testament passage to ever be preached on by a Christian. The very first Old Testament passage. Now, we saw it in, uh, in our second reading from Acts chapter 2. The day was, do you remember the reading? The day was the day of Pentecost. Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen again. He's appeared to more than 500 people alive. He's taught his disciples. He's ascended into heaven. And now on this day of Pentecost, God pours out his Holy Spirit onto his people. They begin to speak God's message of good news in all kinds of languages. Uh, People say, what's going on here? Jesus' disciple Peter stands up and he goes, this is it. This is it. Here it is. This is what Joel predicted. On your outline there, I've got Acts chapter 2, verse 16. Peter says, This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. The day of Pentecost is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes from this section of Joel chapter 2, this very section. And here's how it works. Joel promised that God would pour out his spirit on his people and they would prophesy. Peter says, It's happening before your eyes. God's people are filled with his spirit. They are speaking God's message of judgment and salvation in Jesus. Joel said, God's promised judgment is coming with wonders and signs and darkness. Peter says, it's happened and it's happening. It happened when God's judgment came onto Jesus. The sun was darkened. There were wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. God's judgment did come onto Jesus, but that's not all of God's judgment because God's judgment will come again in a final day when all the world will stand before God, when every person will have to give account before God. God's judgment promised in Joel is here, says Peter. And then finally, Joel promised that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, Peter says, it's happened. The name of the Lord is Jesus Christ. And now those who turn from sin and call on Jesus will be saved. On your outline, Peter replied, this is the end of his sermon, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in what name? In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Friends, can you see Peter's point? It's a pretty simple one, isn't it? Joel's prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. The the great salvation that Joel promised, that is the salvation 
That's our salvation. That's the salvation we have in Jesus. But the thing is, you see Jesus' salvation in this light and you shouldn't be yawning, should you? This is not something to take for granted. This is not something to be blasé about. As I say, what this chapter of Joel has done for me, it's brought me into the emotion of salvation. Joel tells us our salvation is an even bigger version of what was happening in his day. And Israel's salvation in that day, it was chock-a-block with emotion. First, there was the sheer terror of facing God's judgment. Friends, I know it's not politically correct to say it anymore, but God's judgment should fill us with sheer terror. And if we don't get that, then according to God, we haven't even begun to be wise. God says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Like those Israelites were terrified of the oncoming locust plague, we should be terrified by the thought of God's judgment. When we were in Florence this year, Cumberland and I climbed to the top of the Duomo. That's the big cathedral there, very famous uh, um, cathedral. And up on the ceiling, there's a, it's called the Cupola, and there's a massive fresco. It's a painting. It's a painting of Judgment Day. Jesus is on the throne right at the top, and around him are his saved people. But then as you come down and uh, down the kind of the round cupola, as you come down to the lower sections, you've got uh, the people facing God's judgment. It's, it's Catholic, so you've got um, purgatory and you've got various stages of hell and that kind of thing. But, uh, but down below are the people facing God's judgment. And as you climb up to the top of the Duomo, you actually end up coming face to face with these people facing God's judgment. And it's, it's really, really terrible. I mean, you've got the devil eating people, he's got legs coming out of his mouth and, and you've got, um, uh, you've got uh, people suffering all kinds of torture from, from demons and from fire. Carmelina couldn't help but take a couple of photos. So I've just got a couple of, a couple of photos here of my trip. Look at that. that I mean, that's, that's massive and it's kind of right in front of your face and here he is, he's in, he's in anguish as he's, in a second you'll see that he's being tortured by a demon. Uh, the next one, skeletons torturing people. I think that might be limbo, that bit there, next bit. Uh, this is, again, it's massive and it's sort of right in, in your face as you climb up. And then the last one is, uh, oh, you can't, it's that same guy there and you can see he's being tortured. I mean, it, it owes a lot more to Dante's Inferno than it does to the Bible. It's kind of someone's imagination. But, but still, it, it illustrates this fact. It's, it's a fact that we are too politically correct to, to talk about most of the time, but it's a fact nonetheless. God's judgment is a frightening, frightening thing. Um, or as I said last week at the Lord's Supper, the other thing that really brings this home to me is the thought of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I think of Jesus, and the guy, Jesus is not a wimp as he's presented in the New Testament. I mean, he, he's strong and he's brave and he's sane. And, but as Jesus was in that Garden of Gethsemane the, the night before he died, as he thought about what was going to happen on the cross, as he contemplated what it would be to, to drink the cup of God's judgment, to face God's judgment on our behalf, as, as he thought about what it would be like to face the judgment of God, he was so petrified, he sweated blood. God's judgment is no laughing matter. The Bible says, I'll put this on your outline, it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I mean, just as, as I've put myself in the shoes of those people in Joel's day, as I've pictured that, that dark, 
plague of locusts coming over the horizon. I can't stop it. There's nothing I can do. They're going to eat everything. I'm going to have to watch my children starve to death. As I've contemplated that, I've felt something of the sheer terror of the judgment of God. Of course, that's not all that's here in this passage, is it? As I've reflected on Israel's salvation here, I felt something of the relief, something of the joy, something of the gratitude, something of the, 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 the hope they must have felt. God has heard our cry. We've called on his name and he's saved us. Can you feel the relief? Can you feel the joy? Can you feel their hope as they now face a future of full tummies instead of starvation? Friends, Joel tells us it's just a taste of our salvation in Jesus. On that cross, Jesus bore our sins. He drank the full cup of the anger of God. Now he's risen from the dead and he offers to rescue anyone who calls on him from the dreadful judgment that we so richly deserve. He offers to take us from hell to heaven. Friends, that's something to be pleased about, isn't it? Isn't it? That is something to be grateful for, to be relieved about, isn't it? Can I get maybe an amen or a hallelujah instead of a yawn? Thank you. The Apostle Peter put it well. He says on your outline, Though you've not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with what? An inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Is that your experience? Can you feel the relief? Can you, can you feel the inexpressible and glorious joy of being saved? It is good news, isn't it? I mean, I know it's old news for many of us. I know many of you have been converted way longer than me. Some of you have been converted longer than I've been alive. I know it's hard to keep on feeling the emotion year by year, but it's genius, isn't it? Friend, have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you called on Jesus to save you from God's judgment? Then know this. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Know that and let it fill you with glorious and inexpressible joy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank and praise you for your magnificent salvation. We acknowledge that like all people, we have never truly loved you. We are sinners who deserve your anger and judgment. But we thank you so much that you have loved us and through Jesus you offer to rescue us from your judgment. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for pouring out your spirit upon us. We pray that you will so fill us with your spirit that we grasp how magnificent and wonderful is the love of Christ. And we pray that we might overflow in a in a, a desperate desire to prophesy, to share your good news of judgment and salvation in Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.